The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. But I want to get into the Word now. I'm excited to do that. I got uh, a great anticipation for wonderful things here. Always do when we get in the Word. Plus, like I said, I'm a bit giddy, so I'm excited for that. So a few things we're going to find. If you're taking notes, which I strongly encourage, these are things you can write down that we're going to find as we move through the Scripture. I offer these things to you for a couple of reasons. One, they're things that stood out to me. They help kind of keep interest because you can look for them. Normally, one's in the beginning, one's in the middle, and one's at the end, you know, so kind of helps set the pace for where we're going. And, and then, two, there are things that uh, I actually pray about this. It's like, hey, God, what, what would you like to emphasize? And these things sometimes come with really powerful conviction, so it's worth making a, a specific note of. So here's the first one. The first one that we're going to find is, you know, the question now, you're going to have to step outside of the Bible and step into a little uh, a Shakespearean world here. Do you recall the question? The question, to be or not to be, that is the question, right? So we're going to find the question here in the scripture, to be or not to be. That's a little bit goofy, but when we get there, you'll, you'll get it. Another thing we're going to find is how to handle everything perfectly. Ah, I got a laugh there. Yeah, that's, I mean, what a ridiculous bar to set, right? I mean, perfection is a pretty absolute thing. I mean, you can't have kind of perfect. It's either perfect or it's not. So we're going to see in the scripture here how to handle everything perfectly. Now, this is interesting to me because we all handle stuff. There's not a single person in the room that isn't handling something. You handle relational issues, you handle work issues, life issues of all kinds. We can handle health issues, we can handle uh, emotional issues, we can handle all kinds of things. Uh, and there's a way to walk through these things with perfection. We'll see it in the scripture uh, when we get there. And then another thing that we're going to find is what God is doing. You know, part of that song earlier was, was no matter what, even if I can't see it, even if I can't feel it, you're always working in my life. You never stop working. And, and we're going to find out what it is that he's doing. We'll find that uh, when we close here uh, uh, shortly. So as we get into the word, we're going to get in that first one, you know, the question, to be or not to be. I want to give you a passage of scripture, Matthew chapter 5. I want to look at verse 48. Matthew 5, verse 48. Now, I want to give you a little context here. Jesus is, is preaching, and he's, he's preached this, this wonderful message. People are moved by the words. In fact, do you ever notice in the scripture, in the gospel, uh, people would describe Jesus as teaching. They would say he's a teacher that speaks as one having authority, right? That's a description that people give about Jesus and his teaching. Well, I've read that in the past and, and kind of thought, what does that mean? What are they trying to say? Because some things don't really translate or communicate uh, with words. Some things you had to be there to, to understand what was being said. Well, let me tell you what I don't think it means. I don't think it means that Jesus was loud and obnoxious. I don't think that speaking with authority meant that he was very demonstrative, right? I mean, Adolf Hitler was demonstrative, but I don't think he spoke with the authority of God. So I don't think it's about how he presented himself in his speaking, being dominant and loud and aggressive. When people said when he spoke, he spoke as one having authority, I think what they're saying is every time he spoke, I felt my life changing. 
it was like he was speaking directly to me. It was as if when he began to speak those words, I could feel things in my mind and in my heart being shifted and moved and and things leaving and things coming in, things that I don't need going away and things that I do need coming in. When this man spoke, my life was affected. It was as if he had authority to make changes in my heart and in my mind. That's what I think it means. So Jesus is preaching one of those messages, right? We call it the Sermon on the Mount, and you have him speaking the words that that scholars would label the Beatitudes. I mean, bizarre word, but it's just a really good sermon, right? So he's teaching people how to live godly lives and the things that are pleasing to God, and as he's speaking this message, people's lives are being transformed and changed because he's speaking with the authority of the kingdom of heaven. And then he closes his message. He ends his message, and this is how he closes and ends his message. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Therefore, right, therefore, after preaching all that, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, perfect is the word that we're going to use here, but I want you to think of it in another context. I mean, if you go to a concordance and you look up that word perfect, it will also translate mature. Mature. Be mature. What would your life be like if you handled every conflict with maturity? Yeah, there you go. That'll provoke a chuckle, right? I mean, most of the conflict that I've ever botched in my life was botched because of some insecurity or immaturity that that manifested. I got mad and spouted off. You know, somebody did something, and so I was vindictive, and I did it, and it didn't help anything. It made everything worse. This call on our lives to, to, to operate in perfection is a call on our lives to operate in maturity, And so when Jesus is preaching this message and he's bringing the word of God with the authority of the kingdom of heaven into our lives, when we feel it changing our heart and we feel it changing our mind, he says, now I've done all this, therefore all of this has been done so that you can be mature, so that you can grow up, so that you can be perfect. And then I love the the equation there at the end. He equates the perfection that you're called to to the perfection that God is. What a wonderful thing. And here's what's amazing about this. When you know who Jesus is and you understand uh, the, the heart and the motive behind the word spoken, you understand that he's not setting some unachievable goal, but rather he's revealing to us something great. He's imparting, and we're going to visit that again in just a moment, something really great. Now, this sets apart Christianity from other faiths. I remember one time I was, uh, so listen, a lot of my stories involve stopping for food, Okay. So we got to get that out of the way. So I had stopped because I wanted a pizza. And so I stopped at this place that says they always have them ready to go. Not always true, but, you know, I walked in and I said, hey, I want one of these. And they said, it's going to be five minutes. And so I'm thinking, you know, I got five minutes. That'll work. So in this five minutes, I'm standing there and I'm engaging with this, this young lady. And she has some very interesting artwork. She's had some tattoo work done and, and some of it is, is really well done. I mean, you could see, like, this is something you've really put some thought into. And some of it was, was very Eastern and Buddhist. And so I made some comments on it. I just said, uh, that's very interesting artwork that you have there. Are you a Buddhist? Because, you know, maybe she just went into the tattoo parlor and just said, wow, that's pretty. Can I have that? You know, I mean, who knows, right? But, but so I thought I would ask. So when I said, hey, are you a Buddhist? She said, yeah, but not a very good one. Isn't that funny? I mean, aren't you glad that Christianity isn't something we're graded on, where it's like, well, I'm a Christian, but not a very good one, right? I mean, like, 
the, the mercy of God is the absolute. Like that is what makes you a Christian or you're not. Like the light switch, off or on, right? You don't have good Christians and bad Christians. There's just Christians, right? And so when I look at this and I think, I know that, I know that there's not good Christians and bad Christians, and I hear Jesus make this call to be perfect as God is perfect, he's not telling me to try harder or do this different. What he's telling me is that this is coming into my life to bring this into being. I want you to say being. Yeah, okay, it's a very important word here. This is amazing to me when I think about this. I think about this passage of scripture, and I think about what Jesus did not say in order to understand what he did say. He doesn't say, hey, therefore, you're to do perfect, just as your heavenly Father does perfect. But he says you're to be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, when you, when you consider the words of Jesus, remember those who were standing around said, this is one that speaks as if he has authority. Consider this. Consider Jesus standing on the boat with the waves rocking the boat and the wind, you know, bringing the water over the side of the boat and the disciples freaking out saying they're going to die. And Jesus standing up in the boat and commanding the wind to peace be still, right? And then the word says that the disciples marveled that this man even had authority over the wind. I mean, I don't think he's giving the wind advice. I don't think he's like teaching the wind how to not blow, but rather he's imparting peace. When Jesus stands and looks out at the congregation, now that's me and you, and with that authority that he has to touch our hearts and our minds, speaks the words, now be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He's not setting the bar high saying, hey, I hope you can clear this. It's pretty tough. But what he's doing is he's imparting perfection. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Be mature as your heavenly father is mature. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And with the authority that he has as the king of kings and lord of lords, he's imparting and introducing that perfection and that maturity into our hearts and into our minds that transform who we are out of darkness and corruption and into light and holiness. Pretty amazing, huh? So that's the question, right? To be or not to be. Not to do or not to do. God's very interested in what we do. We have a call to live righteous. We have a call to, to forsake sin and corruption and to do the things that are pleasing to the Lord. But my perfection in my being comes in Jesus. His impartation of the love of God and the mercy of God into my life so that I can be perfect. And I don't have to be like that poor woman who said she's not a very good Buddhist because she didn't do Buddhism very well. I can be a Christian instead of do Christianity. Yeah. And that's a wonderful thing. It's so liberating. No wonder we can sing songs about lifting our hands and my chains are removed and I'm no longer in bondage and I'm no longer in captivity because I'm not doing Christianity. I'm being Christian. And then the being Christian has its way in us. When that maturity comes in, appetites change. The things that we used to want, the things that used to be uh, desirable and used to be satisfying can all of a sudden be disgusting and repulsive, and we no longer want that. I once was comfortable listening to that and looking at that, but now I, I feel slimy when I do. I don't want that anymore. My appetites are changing. I'm growing up. I'm maturing. I watched my son's appetites change. And you'll see this in the scripture, the moving from milk to meat. You'll see that's a change of appetites from the basic base things to the things that carry nutrients for growth and strength. 
amazing to see how wonderfully accurate the scripture is. It's perfect. I want to move on in the, the word here. I want to give you a, a, a passage of scripture. It's something that I think is, is amazing to consider, and it comes from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This maturity that God's imparting, this call to maturity and this call to perfection that he's imparting into our lives is what he's doing in our lives. Uh, this passage of scripture from Ephesians reveals something really wonderful. It reveals who you are in, in your relationship with God. It reads like this. We, that's me and you, are his, that's God, we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. These works are works that God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. God has a plan for your life. And he's working in your life to see to it that that plan comes to pass. A plan to do wonderful and magnificent things in the kingdom of God. To carry hope to the hopeless and, and victory to the defeated. Freedom to the captive. Everything that Jesus stood and said, the Holy Spirit is upon me because you can say for yourself. Because God has anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. He's anointed you to open the eyes of the blind. And that doesn't just mean people who can't physically see. It means people who've lost sight for victory, who've given up hope, who've fallen into depression and darkness. He's anointed you to release the captive and set free the oppressed. He's anointed you to proclaim the favor of God. It's a wonderful thing to consider the work that God is doing in you. And then I like this passage of scripture attached to that. If you want to put it in your notes, I encourage that. From Philippians, Philippians 1.6. Now Paul is writing and he's, he's so passionate for the things that God's doing in the church. The work that's being done in the church. The work that's being done in the body of Christ. That means the people that are the body of Christ. That's you, that's me. And in all of his awareness of this wonderful work that's taking place, he makes this statement and this statement is worth giving some thought to. He says this, I'm confident in this very thing that the one God who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ, until the return of our King. There's that word perfect again. The one that began this good work in you will continue to mature that good work all the way until the return of Jesus. That means he's never finished working on you. He's never finished growing you in the depth of your faith and your, your conviction and, and growing you in the depth of, of your, your generosity and your goodness toward those around you and growing you in, in fidelity and faithfulness and growing you in all the things that are pleasing to the Lord, leading us and guiding us and growing us and maturing us. What a wonderful thing that he's committed to see this through. There are times where I, I am, am aware of failure or aware of frustration to what God is doing, and I can always be confident that he's still at work. He's still at work in me. There is no retirement from Christianity. But the work that God began in me will continue until the return of Jesus Christ. Now, here's something I want to give you. I told you before we're going to find out how to handle everything perfectly, right? We're going to find that one now. How to handle everything perfectly. Now, if I were taking notes and I were kind of jotting these things down, this would be the one that I was really listening for. Be like, where are you going to go with this, Pastor? You know, Because if it's legit, I want it. But I have my doubts, right? 
Let me get the scripture to do all the talking here. So we're going to go to the book of James. James chapter 1. I want to look at verses 2 through 4. James 1, 2 through 4. Now remember what we're looking at is how to handle everything perfectly. Now keep in mind, I told you we're going to find how to handle everything perfectly. I didn't say you were going to like it. Okay? Yeah, I'm just prepping you for that. So get ready. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. It reads like this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials and hardships. Okay, well, I'm already hitting the roadblock here. That means like it when things go wrong, right? It's tough to do. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you... Who's that? You. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. If somebody came up to me and said, hey, Preston, I have an offer for you. Should you accept this offer, your life will be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. What do you say? I'd say I'm in, (laughs) right? I mean, who says no to that? Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Now, how we get to this state, this perfection, this completion, and this void of anything lacking comes from this this mentality, this state of mind, this lifestyle that is Christianity, very Christ-like. Consider it all joy when you experience various trials, knowing this, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and it's endurance that produces the perfect result so that you may be perfect so that you may be complete and that you may be lacking nothing. I deal with a lot of trials, so I've got a lot of opportunity to be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. It comes with the territory of life. Ever had any issues with marriage? Ever had any issues raising children? You ever run a small business? You ever run more than one small business? (laughs) You ever pastor a church? You run into issues. People issues, relational issues, uh, uh, administrative issues. There's all kinds of issues. And all of these issues put you at a crossroads to either get ticked off or to realize, hey, this is a real opportunity for me to be mature. I'm going to count this one's joy so that I don't lose my cool and and lose what God's blessed me with, but that I can obtain it and sustain it and and I can cherish it and I can cultivate it and I can grow it and and introduce opportunity for, for productivity and prosperity rather than destruction and division. I'm going to see this differently than I've ever seen it before. This is an opportunity for me to let endurance do something. So then you have to ask yourself, well, what does that mean? I mean... What is endurance? If your faith is being tested and it produces endurance, I think we all have an idea of what your faith being tested is like. That's the problem. And if we had to spend much time talking about what a problem is, I would say you're living a much different life than I am, right? I think we're good on that. You know what problems are. So now let's talk about what endurance is. The testing of your faith produces endurance, and it's the endurance that produces this perfection. That perfection that we're called to. Endurance is going to mean outlasting your problem. That's what endurance is. 
Isn't it interesting that that passage of scripture doesn't say, you know, hey, count it all joy when you encounter trials and know this, that the testing of your faith produces victory in overcoming and that has its perfect result in you and you'll be perfect and you'll be complete and you'll be lacking nothing. Endurance is not giving up. I'm a pretty competitive guy, so when I start to see it this way, I'm thinking, okay, I think I can dig in here and endure. I'm going to start outlasting my problems. When provocation comes, I'm going to start holding my tongue until provocation goes. When temptation comes, I'm going to start holding my, my actions. I'm going to put everything on pause. I'm going to start shining light on stuff. I'm going to outlast this. I'm not going to be swept away by it. No more. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be mature. I'm going to be perfect. Endurance. Now, when you read something like this, I often say this, and I say it on purpose. This should have an impact on like, how we think, on, on how we uh, uh, analyze things, and how we, our perspective on situations. It should have a big impact on how we pray. right? I mean, I want to pray, Father, I want to be a man of endurance. Let, inter- let endurance be a part of my mentality. I don't want to just be a flash in the pan. I don't want to have strong faith for a moment. I don't want to have strong conviction for a moment. Let it be deep and real and genuine. Let me be uh, able to stand as an oak of righteousness, just like the word says, so that I can endure all of these things. I want to outlast all the provocation. I want to stand in my faith not finally be seduced or sucked into a situation where I lose my cool or I lose my temper or I I lose my conviction and make a compromised decision or choice. I want to endure. Let everything inside of me that's Jesus be so deeply rooted in who I am, how I think, how I speak, and what I do that I'll outlast any provocation, any temptation that comes my way. It's good prayer. I want to endure And I want that to result in perfection. Now, when you think about this and you start to apply it to things, it makes sense. And when it starts to make sense, it kind of lights the fires in you to say, you know what, I want to do that on purpose. I've had it happen on accident a few times, but I want to do that on purpose. You have a coworker come and start chewing you out. Something goes wrong at work. You know, imagine every time you've ever blown your top. Now just ask yourself this, if I would have just waited and endured that, would I have gotten a different result? Well, the answer is absolutely yes. I want to do all of that on purpose. If my wife says something and I feel it provokes some kind of a, a, a ungodly response in me, I don't want to spout off or yell, do something, or, or make a problem worse. I want to be patient. I want to listen. If my children do something that, that's disappointing or frustrating or, or you know, brings about some hardship in some way, I don't want to, to lash out. I want to endure. I want to hold. Now, here's an interesting thing, and you ought to consider this because I've seen this in my life. I want to endure for all the right reasons and in all the right situations. Endurance is something that will wear you out. It will exhaust you. You look at any endurance sport. I mean, endurance sports are not my thing, right? I'm not a big fan. I don't even like golf because I think it takes too long. Right? It's like, I don't want to walk that far. <laughs> uh, great game. Love the idea of it. But, geez, I'm the reason why they made carts, right? Like, eh. 
But I had a friend of mine, and he, he was into cycling, like bicycling. And now what's really ironic is I think he got into it because he thought I liked it. I hated it. And, and so he'd call me up and be like, hey, let's go ride. And I'd be like, no, okay, I'll go. Just for the relationship, you know. And then he signed us up for this race, a 60-mile race, you know. <laughs> 60 miles. And he's good. Like, he's built for it. I'm not built for it. I'm like putting a gorilla on a bicycle, right? I mean, he's just sleek, and he's, you can hear the wind when he's riding on his bicycle. You know what you can hear when I'm riding? And I ride like this. Like, it's like I hate the pedals. I'm kicked up, kicked up. 60 miles, man, 60 miles. I was so, uh, I hated it by the time we were done. You know what the saving grace was for that? Chick-fil-A had a booth at like mile 50. Mile 50, they're giving away free chicken sandwiches. But you know what's funny is all these guys are, they're not stopping for chicken sandwiches. They could hear me coming a half mile away. (laughs) We got one. Here he comes. <laughs> Ten minutes out. I finally pull up there, and I stop and just say, uh, and I have a sandwich. I eat it. And I'm standing there, and they can see the look on my face. And finally, the woman that's working the booth says, you can have more than one. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and then she says, no one else is stopping. And I said, what are you going to do with all these sandwiches? She can take as many as you want. I'll bet you I stuffed like six in my bike shorts. You ever seen bike shorts? Let me tell you something. They stayed warm. They stayed really warm. I got across that finish line. It's like, hey, guys, you want a bike? I got a sandwich for you. I ate them, though. I did, and I loved every second of it. It really put some wind in my sails for that last 10 miles. God bless Chick-fil-A. Christian company, right? They knew where to put that stand. Mile marker 50. Endurance sports. I mean, it, it, it's, about, it's about having this, the strength and capacity to keep going and not quit. That's really what endurance is about, is not quitting. And I see that this maturity that Jesus is imparting into our life, when he stands before the congregation and he imparts perfection, when he says, be perfect, be perfect, be perfect, be perfect. He's imparting that will to not quit, to hold your ground. To never give up, it's an amazing thing. Makes you read that sermon altogether different, where he's telling you, hey, listen, if you've even looked at a woman with that in your heart, you've committed adultery. Hey, listen, if you've even cursed your brother with a slander, it's as if you've murdered him. I mean, he's setting this off the charts, right? We're all in sin at this point. And then he says, hey, listen, now I'm going to impart this. Don't quit. Don't quit trying to get it right. Don't quit doing what's pleasing to God. Whatever you do, don't quit. I'm imparting perfection to all of you. Don't quit. Keep working toward the things that God loves. It's an amazing thing. And we'll find ourselves free from lack and and walking in that maturity, that perfection. And based on this, that word is a wonderful word to think of, to be complete. So here's something that I think is good. You know, I mean, this is all about how you handle trials, how you handle hardship, how you handle difficulty or problem, whatever it is, insert the word there. How you handle things that could provoke you or, or pull you out of the conviction that you know you're called to walk in. How do you handle that? I mean, 
That's a big deal. So there's a little bit of a test here that I think you find in the scripture, how to know if you handle problems well, okay? So let me just tip my hand here. Get ready to fail this test, right? I mean, I'm off the charts, like I need to retake this one. But let me give you a passage of scripture. We're going to find this test in the scripture. How to know if you handle trials well. Philippians chapter 4, I want to read verses 4 through 7. When problems come your way, when hardship comes your way, when trials come your way, do you handle them like this? Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And let your gentle spirit be made known before all men, for the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, with supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus Christ. When I deal with problems, the first thing that goes out the window normally when I fail is gratitude. You never noticed it's really hard to complain when you're grateful. I mean, gratitude is a wonderful thing that you see in the scripture. In fact, it's what grants access to the Father, right? Think about the psalmist. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Yeah, and I'll enter his courts with praise, right? And praise is, is thanksgiving expressed. Think about the songs that we sing. We're lifting up our thanksgiving for all that he's done. Yeah. So it's a wonderful thing to consider. And I've never once been in a state of complaint and gratitude at the same time. Gratitude has to go out the window for complaint to prevail. I've never complained to my wife about anything in our marriage or in, our, or in anything that we've dealt with and, and been grateful at the same time. It's been the void of gratitude. It's, it, it's all forgotten. It's all out the window. And all of a sudden, what's left is this, this, this nasty thing that is a root for resentment and bitterness. It's really disgusting when you stop and you consider what that complaint is. And at the heart of every complaint is an accusation. You failed. Accusation is the work of the devil, right? He's the accuser of the brethren. So all of a sudden, we're no longer doing the work of Jesus Christ, but we've partnered up with Satan and make an accusation through our complaint. No wonder God hates complaint so much. I used to read about the Israelites walking through the desert and complaining about things and, and God's response to it, and I thought, that's a little harsh, right? I mean, the desert's no fun. Cut them some slack. The reality is that's how destructive complaining is. When you find yourself in a state of complaining, you are absent of a state of gratitude. And these people that are moving from captivity to the promises of God, that's me and you, by the way, have so much to be grateful for. And to find ourselves brushing all of that aside and finding something to complain about is to position yourself to be completely, totally, absolutely ungrateful. I got news for you. If our goal is to be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing, ungrateful will lead you absolutely imperfect, absolutely incomplete, and in lack of everything. When we face these things, the question is, can we stay grateful? I mean, it's hard for me not to get hung up on the be anxious for nothing, you know, because you could just make that about don't be anxious. Well, good luck with that. Things are going to inspire these feelings and thoughts that are uncomfortable. The question is, what do you do with them? I have no problem with somebody experiencing anxiety. I have a problem with anxiety taking over. 
I mean, I'll get a phone call from somebody that I know has the ability to terminate a contract, and you can get nervous when you see that phone call, right? But the reality is, how am I going to handle that? Am I going to let fear take over, or am I going to let faith take over? And when you and I deal with, with conflict, when you and I deal with problem, when you and I deal with situation and circumstance, what we have set before us is the call to remain grateful, the call to remain thankful. When we deal with problems, can we find the point of gratitude? If we can stay anchored to gratitude, we will endure. You can apply that to anything. Uh, I do. I talk about my wife and my children a lot here, and it's not meant to overexpose or show clay feet. It's just a great example. Let me tell you something. If I can stay grateful for my wife, I can endure any temptation to, to stray. If I can stay grateful for the work that God's doing in my life, I can stay uh, anchored to the call that's on my life and not stray from it. If I can stay grateful for the things that I have, I can endure any temptation to take the things that I don't. If I can stay grateful for that which God has blessed me with, I can endure any desire to covet. Gratitude. And when you state something like that, when you introduce that into your life as a believer, that should have an impact. Take that into your prayer closet. Father, I want to be grateful. I want to become the most grateful man that's ever walked the earth. Let my heart be aware at all times of the wonderful things that I have to be grateful for. Remind me of the freedom and the liberty that you've bestowed upon my life, the destruction that you've delivered me from, the wonderful people that you've surrounded me with, and the love and the affection that not only you have for me, but that those that are around me have for me. Let my heart be filled with gratitude that I not become ungrateful and fail to endure. I want to be grateful, right? Pretty good prayer. We're going to move on here in the Word. I want to give you a passage of scripture and how to have this mature attitude, how to have this perfect attitude. Now, I want to offer this to you because it's important. How you think is going to be how you are. The scripture says, as a man thinks, so he is. But if you want to change your life, change the way you think. So as we look at this attitude and this thought process, you'll find it in Philippians. If you want to turn there, I want to encourage that. We're, we're winding down here. Philippians chapter 3 I want to read verses 12 through 16. So Paul is writing, and he's writing about this concept of perfection, right? Maturity. You're going to hear the word perfect in here a few times. That's good. I hope it rings loud and clear in your ears. So Paul says this, Not that I've already obtained it or have become perfect, but I press on so that I might hold uh, fast to that which is ahead. I want to lay hold of that which is set before me by Jesus. I do not regard myself as having grasped it yet, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to the prize ahead. I press toward the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Jesus. Let us therefore as many are as perfect have this attitude. Pretty interesting to think about. That attitude right there is the attitude of a mature person. A mature person will always acknowledge, one, that they haven't arrived yet. Remember, that's what he opened with. I haven't, I haven't achieved perfection yet, but I'm pursuing it. I'm going to lay hold of it. I'm not going to let past failures 
dictator decide who I am in my own eyes. I'm going to keep looking forward toward Jesus, who he says I am, who he's called me to be, and I'm going to keep moving in that direction. This is the perfect attitude, right? Free from any self-righteousness or any idea of, of a rival, but bound to the, the truth that Jesus is constantly at work in our lives, leading us and guiding us toward perfection. Uh, I mentioned before that I pastored years ago in, in Oklahoma. I remember having an encounter with a man in this church, a wonderful man, a, a godly man. He said something that took me by surprise. It really shocked me. Uh, we had to deal with an issue. It was, a, a, it was a, a child discipline issue, and we had to deal with that, and we dealt with it with a lot of grace and very appropriately. And, and I remember meeting with him, and, and what I thought was going to be received very uh, well and, and going to be reciprocated back was met with hostility. It was a bit of a shock. Some things are really black and white in the Scripture. You would think this is pretty basic Christianity. We shouldn't have a problem with this, right? Now, this was met with a bit of hostility, and he said something, and I thought, oh, my, what an interesting thing to say. And I didn't dare use these words because they would have been prov provoking, but I thought, what an immature thing to say. What an imperfect thing to say. He, he kind of stiffened up in his seat after I presented the need that we needed to address together appropriately with lots of grace. And he sat up in his seat, and he said, Pastor, you just have to be perfect to go to church here. And as soon as he said it, you know, it just went quiet, kind of like that. And then a response just kind of rose up from me and came out. I believe it was, it was a word of wisdom. I think it was like a, a Holy Spirit-inspired response to what he said. I said, no, that's not true, but you do have to want to be perfected. I believe that wholeheartedly. Just like Paul would say, I haven't already achieved perfection, but I want to be perfect. I'm pursuing it with everything I've got. As God convicts me, as I'm led, I will adjust and change anything. I'll cut off the garbage that's holding me back. I'll hold fast to the things that are moving me forward. I'll forget what lies behind. I'll focus on what lies ahead. I want to achieve that goal. I press on toward the prize. What's the goal? What's the prize? Perfection. Maturity that prize that we will all obtain upon the day of the Lord because God promises to continue that work in us until the return of Jesus. It's going to require some things, and I'll give you these. We've got two passages, and we're out. It requires a different way of thinking, and that's why the word promises something great. Take this into your prayer closet. Ask God for this. God, I want the renewal of my mind. I want to think differently. Romans 12.2 says, Don't be conformed to the world, like, don't be like the world. The world is corrupt. The world has all kinds of, of, of foul ways of handling conflict that don't produce anything productive. Don't be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, listen to what this produces. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that. Okay, you heard those words, so that. Here's the result of having your mind renewed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, that which is acceptable, that which is perfect. God, I want my mind renewed. I want to think differently. I don't want to think like the world thinks. I want to think like you think. 
I want to have the thoughts of your kingdom in my mind. I want to have the thoughts of your sovereign hand in my mind. I want to have the thoughts of your grace and your faithfulness in my mind. I want to have the thoughts of Jesus Christ as king eternally in my mind. I want to have the thoughts of an unshakable kingdom in my mind. I want to have the thoughts of the eternal power of your word never going to pass away in my mind. I want to have those thoughts in my mind. I want my mind renewed so that I can prove with every action I perform, with every word that I speak, with every thought that I think, what your will is, everything that's good, everything that is acceptable, everything that is perfect. I want to be mature. Renew my mind. I told you before, this is something that I would attach to the renewal of the mind. We're closing with this. What God is doing. You know, we saying that song, even if I can't see it, you're working. And if I can't feel it, you're still working. You never stop working. Well, what's he working on? Well, he's working on you. And here's what he's doing. A renewed mind will always keep this in mind, no matter what problem rises, no matter what situation rises. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. I want that to be at the foundation of everything in my mind. No matter what phone call I get, no matter what letter I get in the mail, no matter what problem rises, no matter what provocation comes before me, no matter what temptation, I want to know, God, you're at work here doing something good. It's an opportunity for endurance to come and have its way and introduce the things that are perfect into my life that I might be complete, that I might be lacking nothing, that I might be mature, that I might be like you. This is the call that we have as Christians. And it's not a call that can't be obtained. It's a call that we've all been equipped and empowered to walk in. That we can do just like Paul. And be willing to confess I'm not there yet, but I'm committed to getting there with every breath I draw. That's the call. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray, and I'm going to pray for all of us collectively. And the prayer is for God to do something in our hearts and in our minds. Now, let me tell you something. He loves you. He loves you so much more than I do, and I love you quite a bit. He's present here to do great things, and those things are happening whether I pray or not. But I want to be in agreement with those things. I want to be in cooperation with them. I want to bear witness to those things. Pastorally, at Champions Church, I want to stand and, and receive that direction and that conviction to bring this word, trusting, believe that God is going to do his work in your heart. I want to stand here in this prayer and bear witness to that work being done. And for us today, what I want that work to be and what I believe that work is, is that renewal of the mind to, to walk in that maturity, to see that call to perfection as something that we are living our lives toward. That we never stand and look at the church and say, you have to be perfect to go here, but that we stand as believers and say, you have to want to be perfected. I want God to change my life. He is the potter and I am the clay. I want him to mold and shape every part of me so that I look just like Jesus. That's the prayer. So there where you stand, I want to pray. I want to ask God for these things for you. You're welcome to be in an attitude of receiving or agreement. But I want to trust that the most powerful and effective minister in the room, the Holy Spirit, is at work in each one of us. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for the truth that we receive. 
Let it sanctify us and set us apart. Let us be different than the world, that we wouldn't be conformed to the corruption that exists, but let us be transformed. Let our minds be renewed to see what is true, what is righteous, what has worth and value. And let all of those things that you love and all those things that are pleasing to you, let those things be magnified and embraced. We give you thanks for all that you've done on our behalf. We rejoice in your goodness and your presence. We thank you for Jesus and the impartation of maturity. And we surrender our lives to receive that impartation. Let us press on toward that goal to be complete, lacking nothing, to be perfect. And let that maturity, that call to be just like you, not be something that was seen as a burden, but let it be seen as the greatest display of your love and affection in our lives, that you would make us your sons and daughters, that you would make us to be like you, to look like you, to sound like you, to do like you do. We thank you for that. And as we see problem, as we see trial, let our eyes see it through the scripture. We would see opportunity as our faith is tested to endure, that we would outlast all temptation, that we would outlast all provocation, that we would stand firmly rooted on who you are and what you have put in our lives through Jesus and the Holy Spirit and let endurance produce perfection that we might be mature that we could stand out in this world sanctified, set apart. Let that maturity be evangelistic. As the world flies into a panic and a rage, that your people would stand and endure. Enduring with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, walking in the full measure of the anointing of the Holy Ghost, confident in the authority of the name of our King Jesus. Let us stand. Teach us to value that which you value. Embrace those things that you embrace. Lead us and guide us to be just like you. Mature, perfect, complete, lacking nothing. And let it all be for your glory. We give you thanks and rejoice in you in Jesus' name. And all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.